The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please grab a hold of it and open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel 23, those hardback black Bibles under every chair can be used. That's on page 245. You can use a phone or a tablet. 1 Samuel chapter 23 is where we're going to be. We're going to do that whole chapter today. So um, as you're turning there, uh, I've told this story before, and I know I did it a couple of years ago, uh, but I'm going to do it again, and I don't care, okay, because it's the right story to start this sermon. Uh, uh, When I was a youth pastor, Many years ago, uh, we would take students to Juarez, Mexico on mission trips to build homes. That's how we did missions with our youth is we'd take them to Juarez. And if you've been to Juarez, uh, you know there are stray animals everywhere. Like cats, dogs, critters, all kinds of stuff. All over the place, it's just animals. Um, And on one trip in particular, one of our middle school girls took a liking to some stray street cats. In Juarez, in Juarez, okay? And she would bring them food, and they would cuddle with her. Uh, and I just kept my distance. Well, what, because, because one, one reason, you know why, okay? One reason you just know how I feel about cats. But, but second, these weren't cats. Like, you've got cats, these are not those, okay? These were Mexican street cats, So throw everything out of your brain that you know about cats. These are not the same, okay? So one of these cats really took a liking to this girl, really loved her. Hear me, because she was feeding it. It was the food that that cat loved, but whatever. We got back on the bus to head back to America after the mission trip was over, and this girl had the audacity to try to sneak the Mexican street cat in her bag. She zipped it into her duffel bag to bring back to the States. And now here, I think they frown upon that at the El Paso crossing. <laughs> I think it says on a sign, no fruits, no vegetables, no cats. They don't let them back into the, the States. I think that's like some sort of federal violation. And we didn't even know about it. We didn't know about it until uh, we, we heard her duffel bag making some noise. There was a mewing coming from this bag. And so now hear me. I automatically became the bad guy here. I was the bad guy. I don't know how it happened. But I said, girl, get that cat off the bus. Get that cat off the bus. No, it doesn't love you. It loves to eat. It, it would, listen, it would love me if I fed it, and we've all ascertained how much I hate it. And I'll just never forget the tears all over this little girl's face as I crushed her spirit. And she said this, she said this, to, she goes, Pastor Chris, uh, God is calling me to save all the homeless Mexican cats. And I said, no, he is not. No, he is not calling you to that. And we ditched that gato on the side of the road. Um, And then a guy in the first service said, you should just tell the second service that now she has a ministry to cats in Mexico 20 years later. But that's not true. I have no idea what happened to her, but I'm certain she is not in Mexico doing that, okay? Today's sermon, today's sermon is called 
how do you know? I'm, I'm, I'm called to save all the homeless Mexican cats. How do you know? How do you know what God's calling is for you? How do you know what God's direction is for you in a circumstance? How do you know? How do you know what school you're going to go to? How do you know who you should marry? How do you know what job you should take? How How do you know how many kids you should have? How do you know where you should live or where you should move? Like, how do you know? How do you discern these things? The word that we talk about in church is discernment. How do you discern God's direction for your life. That's what we're going to see in 1 Samuel 23. So let me give you a quick recap of 1 Samuel up to this point. 1 Samuel, we have been following David this year, the life of David. David is destined to be the next king of Israel, the second king of Israel. He killed Goliath, the giant Philistine. He killed him. He's been victorious in all of his military efforts. He is current, the, the current uh, king's son's best friend. He found a buddy in Jonathan, Saul's son. He has married the current king's daughter, Michael. They are now wed together. And now he has over 400 men who are following after him, including from last week, a new priest of the Lord who's in his entourage. This guy is loved in all of Israel. He is loved except by one guy. There's one guy and he's a pretty important guy who doesn't love David like this and that's King Saul, the first king of Israel. He is desperate to hold on to his power. Saul is desperate to keep a hold of his kingship and he is desperately trying to find David who is on the run from Saul and hiding in some caves. So David is on the run and Saul is on the hunt. That's where we're at as we walk into 1 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse one. Let's look at this. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kaliah. Keilah, and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Okay. So David, as we just read, hears that the Philistines, the Philistines are Israel's enemy. He hears that the Philistines are fighting against a city called Keilah, which is a city in Judah we read about in chapter 14. There's a list of cities. Keilah is one of them. So whose job is it to protect an Israel city from attack? Yeah, it's Saul's job. The king of Israel is supposed to protect the people of Israel from invasion. But Saul ain't doing his job. Why? Because he's so predisposed with hunting down David in this wild conspiracy theory that we talked about last week. And so David inquired of God, should I go take care of this, Father? You You want me to take care of this? And Yahweh says, go. Go for it. Okay, verse three. But David's men said to him, behold, We are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the enemies 
of the Philistines. So, so David's men push back a little bit on David saying, let's go fight the Philistines. And it's because they're already being hunted by Saul. They're hiding, okay? They're on the run. They're, they're hiding from Saul. And if they go up against the Philistines in public, they will be exposed. And in the open, Saul then could attack them and they could end up fighting enemies on both fronts. The Philistines on the front and Saul sneaking up behind them. So hear me, this is a reasonable pushback from David's men. It's reasonable for them to be like, you sure, buddy? Are you sure? Verse four, Then David inquired of the Lord again. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So David heeds the advice from his men. He, he listens to these guys who are close to him, the 400 who are like, hey, we're not sure. He's like, okay. But he doesn't just like say, forget it then. We're not going to go. No, he inquired of the Lord. Again, he goes back to God and asks the same question. And God once again says, go for it. You got this big boy, go, all right? And, and, and now hear me, to David, that settles it. God says it, I'm doing it. It settles it. And so they go to Keilah and they dominate the Philistines. Yeah, David, good job. Good job, buddy. All right, verse six. Now this is the important verse. This is an important verse. This is an easily read over verse, but this is so important. Verse six, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Okay, Abiathar is that priest who we read about last week, who is the only remaining priest in Eli's family who is now a part of David's entourage. And we find out in verse six how David had been inquiring of the Lord. Because Abiathar, this last remaining priest, who is now added to David's team, brought an ephod with him. Now, we could skip right over that and never think about it, but this is far more than a throwaway verse. It's actually the hinge for this section because Keilah is saved through God's guidance, which is discerned by the means of this priestly ephod. The ephod's not a throwaway passage. It's how David actually inquired of God. You see, in the ephod, the the high priest of Israel would wear an ephod. It's like this big robe garment thing, all right? And in that, you can read about this in Exodus, in that ephod, they sewed a little pouch or pocket, and inside of that pocket were two stones, two stones, okay? These two stones were called the Urim and the Thummim, Urim and Thummim, these two stones that were in the high priest's ephod pouch thing. And these were used as a means for the priest to discern God's will in almost a very binary sense, kind of like a yes or no thing. And so you would ask God, the priest would ask God kind of a yes or no type question. And one stone meant yes, and the other stone meant no. And so now this is what David is doing. He's inquiring of the Lord. He's asking the priest who's asking God, should I fight the Philistines? Yes or no. And he reaches into that pouch and figures out what God's will is. And it's here that I want to make my first point. How do you know? How do you know? Well, first, you look to God. That's the first thing. You look 
to God. David looks to God. Before he, he hears his, his, his compadre's advice and he says, no, 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 I'm gonna go to God. I'm gonna look to God. I'm gonna see what God wants. He inquired of God using the ephod. He seeks God's will for his situation. And now hear me, as I read that and think about those little two stones, it sounds crazy to me. Does that not sound nuts to you? It's like a coin flip. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine? It's like, uh, should I marry this girl or not? Heads I will, tails I won't. Right? It's like, can you imagine bringing something with such weightiness to something so it would feel like levity or, or, or chance or randomness? Like, is that crazy or not? It seems awfully superstitious to me. It seems awfully superstitious. Now hear me, it is. Except that's how God instructed Israel to do it. It would be purely superstitious if it weren't God's prescribed method for the priest to inquire God's will in the Old Testament. That's why it works, because it's how God said to do it. Now, that's not how God tells us to discern his will today. It's not the same for us. Don't come to me asking me a question and just thinking that I've got like some sort of magic dice that I can throw and it's like, snake eyes, you should marry her, right? That's not how it works. That's not how it works anymore. Why? Why doesn't it work? Because I'm not a high priest and you're not the king of Israel. It's not how it works anymore. That's not how it works. But in principle... There is no difference between David's situation and our process of discerning God's will. Follow me here. God's guidance was given through the priest and we enjoy that privilege too. Hebrews chapter four says this, I'll put this on the screen. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, that, Hebrews chapter four, is the exact same thing that David just did. We look to God in the exact same way. We go to our great high priest. David had Abiathar. We have Jesus, the great high priest, and we draw near to the throne of grace. Now you say, how do you do this? How do you draw near to Jesus, to our great high priest, to discern the will of God? There's two primary ways. The first way is you know him through the scriptures. The second way is you know him in personal prayer. The scriptures and prayer. What does the Bible say about whatever you're seeking God's will on? What is the, what's God's will? I don't know. Well, what does the Bible say about it? You start there and 
you spend adequate time praying about it. You say, how much is adequate? I don't know. More than inadequate. You spend adequate time praying. And that's how we, just like David, look to God. How do you know you look to God? Now, look at what Saul does. Because it's wild. Verse 7. Now, it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand. For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. This is exactly what David's men were afraid of. He came out of hiding. There he is. Let's go get him. But hear me, Saul is nowhere close to the heart of God in this. Nowhere close to the will of God. He's, he's trying to kill God's anointed king. And yet when he realizes that David is now vulnerable, when he hears this, he, he has the audacity to say, God has given him into my hand. He attributes it to God. And now hear me, I hear this all the time. In pastoral ministry, I hear this all the time. Hear me, I've said this plenty of times, plenty of times. Without looking to God, we attribute things to him and it's merely wishful thinking cloaked in spiritual language. Goodness gracious, you wouldn't believe the buffet of crazy that I have heard in my years of pastoring. Just cra crazy stuff that I know it's God's will. I know it's God's will. Not just the cat thing, okay? Uh, here, here's what, bro, I know I'm supposed to marry her. I know that she's the girl that God has for me. How do you know? How do you know, bro? Well, God showed me. God showed me. You see, we're in small group together. We're in the same small group. And so as I left to drive home from small group on Wednesday, I had all green lights going home. And she has green eyes. And that one red light that I hit, that one red light, all the greens, but that one red light, she has red hair. She has red hair, okay? And at that red light, I turned my head and I saw a billboard for Pantene Pro-V shampoo. And now listen, one time I smelled her and I think she uses Pantene. So I think God has been pretty clear that she is supposed to be my wife. God's call, I know God's calling me to marry this girl. And it's like, hey, man, uh, that sounds more like the preamble to a restraining order <laughs> than it does God's will. Are you serious? How do you know? How do you know? David looks to God. Saul is grasping at straws here. He's grasping at straws. Now, look at verses 9 through 14. This is a longer section. Look at 9 through 14. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. So there's the ephod again. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? 
Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. Notice the binary nature. It's kind of yes or no questions. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, well, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Those jerks. David just saved them. They're going to hand them over to Saul. God just said that. Verse 13. Then David and his men, who were about 600, so now they're 600. So he's growing, y'all. 200 more have changed teams. The 600 arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the, expect, uh, the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Okay, so David does some more inquiring of the Lord. The ephod proves true and kind of gives him what he needs. God gives him the direction he needs. They bolt from Keilah. They're going to be handed over. And so they leave. They're now hanging out in the wilderness. And the text says that Saul is seeking him every day day. Yeah, you don't have time to protect your own lands because you're after this kid every day. Saul is obsessed, obsessed. He should be out doing his job, but God is preserving David. The text just said that, that God did not give him into Saul's hand. God's with him. But now uh, in verses 15 through 18, an old friend comes to visit David. Look at verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. This is David and Jonathan's last encounter. Because while Jonathan had some really good encouragement and advice for his friend David, he is not clairvoyant here, because he will not be at David's right hand when he becomes the king. We'll deal with that when we get there. But, but Jonathan's David's best friend, his, his best, closest friend. And he shows up in David's moment of distress to strengthen David in God. It says to strengthen his hand in God. And it's where I wanna make our second point for this morning. How do you know? First, you, you, you look to God. But second, you look to others. You look to others. Saul is seeking David's life every day. That must have been exhausting. Yes, for Saul, but yeah, for David. Every day, if you've had trials that have lasted for a long time, chronic things, health things, addiction things, stress, anxiety, depression, every single day, it wears you thin. It wears you out. 
And it's even more exhausting to make decisions about what to do next under that kind of duress. In fact, when I counsel people, I most often counsel people not to make major decisions when under stress and pressure like that. You can't think clearly when stuff is messing with you that bad. But if you must, one place that you can look to help is wise counsel. One place you can help look to find help when making those kinds of decisions is to others, to wise counsel. You look to others. And I'm, I'm gonna give you two criteria for the type of people you should look to because I ain't just saying anybody here. Two criteria. One, they must be for you. Two, they must be for God. They gotta be for you and they gotta be for God. And the reason why I don't just leave it at for you is because, listen, you shouldn't just ask your crew. You shouldn't just ask your people, your friends. All right? It's easy to find people who affirm you no matter what stupid decision you're making. It's easy. Go online. You'll find people who will affirm you for everything and anything, no matter how harmful it is for you. Don't just pick people who seem to be for you. That's just your crew. What I'm talking about is people who are for God and for you. So I'm talking about an idea called spiritual authority. Finding people who you would allow to be a spiritual authority in your life life, looking to others who are for you and for God. And so listen to me, one of the clearest ways that God will speak to you is through submitting to wise counsel of a spiritual authority. One of the clearest ways he'll speak to you is through the wisdom of a spiritual authority that you submit to. Now, in trying to figure out how do I illustrate this, this is the word picture that comes to mind. What do I mean by submission to wise spiritual authority? Here's what I mean. Imagine you are drunk. Some of you, it's not too hard to imagine that, right? You're like, oh, I still feel a little bit from last night, right? Like, and, I, and I don't mean like drunk on the spirit, okay? Don't over-spiritualize this. I mean, you have consumed, you have consumed more liquor than any human being should ever consume, and you are inebriated. You are intoxicated. You are drunk. Imagine you are drunk, okay? You're drunk. At that point, Every single after-school special and infomercial has taught us that you need another person. This person is called a designated driver, the DD, right? The double D. You know this guy or gal? The designated driver. Now, here's what happens. If you're drunk and you have a designated driver, you don't get to argue with the designated driver. You don't get to argue with them. It's not, I'm fine. No, you're not fine. I wouldn't be here not having any fun if you were fine. That's what a DD does. You don't have this under control. That's why I'm here. You don't get to argue with the DD. You don't get to give suggestions on route corrections to the DD. Why don't we take Broadway? What? We're in Vail. We're not anywhere close to Broadway. Are you out of your mind? You don't get them. You don't get to give them suggestions. You, here, here's what you do with a DD. You give them your keys and you trust them to get you home safely. You give them the keys, and you put your life in their hands, trusting them to get you home 
safely. That's wise counsel. So when we were planting this church, we were preparing to plant this church, there were a few select men. Notice I, a few select men who I placed myself under, who I placed myself under and I sought wise counsel from these guys and asked them this question. Am I hearing correctly from God that I should plant this church? And a couple of them are in this church. A couple of them are in this room. Guys who are for me and for God. Because hear me, I was at a great church doing great ministry, making a great paycheck. My wife was pregnant. We had just bought a house. It was not the right time to take the risk of starting a church. I preached six sermons before we planted this church. There was no chance that that was wise. But I asked these guys, am I hearing from God correctly? And one of them I submitted to and I said, hey, listen, if you tell me no, if you say no, I won't do it. Here's the keys. I'm trusting you to get me home safely. See, this is why you need to be involved in church more than just on a Sunday morning, y'all. This is why you need to be in a discipleship group or a Bible study. This is why you need to be a member of a church. You need to be submitted under godly Leadership. There need to be men and women of God surrounding you. And hear me, you need to give them the keys. You need to give them the keys because you know you've got blind spots. You know there's areas of your life you can't see. And listen, if you don't know that you've got blind spots, that's exactly because they're blind spots. You got to know that they're there even though you can't point them out because if you could see them, they're not blind spots. This is why you need men and women. This is why you need wise counsel to encourage you. Yes, to build you up. Yes, but those who will also correct and those who will confront, even those who will at times rebuke you. That's why they're not just for you, they're for God. And actually, the only way they can truly be for you is if they're for God. Your crew will always tell you what you want to hear. Wise counsel will always tell you what you need to hear. So yeah, Jonathan shows up and yeah, he's encouraging to David. They're buddies, they're friends. He builds him up, he encourages him, but it's not just being for him. Maybe the most important thing that David, or that David receives from Jonathan is that he reaffirms God's promises to Jonathan. He is for God. That's why it says that he strengthened his hand in God. His message wasn't just like, hey, my dad's a tool. His message was, God's got something for you. God's got something for you. But now look at what Saul does. This is wild. Look at 19. Then the Ziphites, okay, so remember, they're in the wilderness of Ziph. So there's the Ziphites. They went up to Saul at Gibeah saying, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? That's why I didn't have that one read by you, Luke. That verse, okay? Yeah, you got it, buddy. Verse 20, now come down, O king. 
according to all your heart's desire to come down. And our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. So David has wise counsel from Jonathan, one who is both for him and for God. Saul gets his counsel from the Ziphites. The Ziphites, okay? Most commentators believe that the Ziphites are opportunity seekers here. They're opportunity seekers. In fact, the Ziphites are who David wrote Psalm 54, which was read over us. This is the moment that David writes Psalm 54, right in this moment. And, and let me just reread verse three. Psalm 54, verse three, I'll put it up on the screen. It says this, about the Ziphites. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before Themselves. This is why commentators believe that the Ziphites are opportunity seekers. That psalm. The Ziphites, listen, they're not for God. The Ziphites, they're not even for Saul. They're for themselves. And once again, I mean, Saul is just biting after this. Look at this, this response in verses 21 through 24. Saul said to the Ziphites, may you be blessed by the Lord for you have compassion, have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure, know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Saul is so tied up and wrapped up in this delusion of conspiracy. And now he thinks the Ziphites are giving me intel. God must be in this. God bless you. You've shown compassion on me. But listen, we know that the Lord is not in this. You're like, well, well, maybe he is. Maybe he is in this. No, no, no. We know that the Lord is not in this because the purposes of God cannot be achieved by breaking the precepts of God. You might do well to think on that one. The ends do not justify breaking God's word in the means. The purposes of God cannot come to fruition by breaking the precepts of God. Saul has a record in this book of rejecting every command that God puts upon his life. And now we hear him say, God is surely in this. No, I didn't listen to him in anything else, but God is in this move right now. But that ain't how it works, y'all. That's not how it works. So we look to God. We look to others. There's one more. If you notice verse 24 kind of split right in the paragraph moment. So let's look at the second half of verse 24. Now, David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon, and Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock 
and lived in the wilderness of my own. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of my own. And Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Wait. So let me just recap that. The Ziphites give the exact location of David to Saul. And if you're reading this, it's like a suspense moment. It's like a nail-biting moment here. David's in the wilderness. Saul finds him there. So then David goes to the rock. Saul found him there. So then David goes to another wilderness, to a mountain, and David's on one side. And Saul's on the other side. And just as David is hurrying to get away, and just as Saul and his men are closing in to capture David, verse 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the rock of escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. <laughs> At the exact right moment, this is, like a, this is like a suspense movie, right? That's, like, that's exactly what at the exact moment, at the 11th hour, just in the nick of time, God delivers David from surely being captured by Saul. By who is he delivered? God. And what is the means of God's deliverance? The Philistines. The Philistines show up and Saul finally decides to take his duty as king seriously and he is whisked away and David is saved. But the question is, is this timing purely coincidental? That just as Saul is about on one side of the mountain and he's on the other side and he's about to get him, he's about to capture him. And just at that moment, a messenger shows up and says, hey, those pesky Philistines, they're raiding our lands. Is it purely coincidental? Well, I think it makes for a tidy third point. So that's why I think it's here. How do you know God's will? Yes, you look to God. And yes, you look to others. And third, you look for signs. I tried to come up with a better word than signs, but I just, I mean, I wrestled with it this week. But you gotta look for signs from God. You gotta look for evidence from him, for confirmations from him. Sometimes we'll, we'll call these, maybe you've said this, we call these open doors. Man, God just really opened that door for me. That's a sign. That's a sign. The Philistines show up just in the nick of time and David is saved again. Those are signs. I'll give you an example of a sign from our church, from our church story, Fathom. We planted uh, in 2015, and when we first planted in February of 15, we met at a Young Life facility, uh, which is like a glorified youth facility. It had no air conditioning. You remember this? Anybody in there? Anybody remember the lift? No air conditioning all summer. It smelled like the inside of a hockey pad. Just heating up youth, Ugh, right? Remember that? This is why I keep the AC on so low in here. You're welcome, all right? It's for your good and my good as well. All right, but 
we outgrew that space. We outgrew that Young Life space. Uh, and on one Sunday morning, right before I got up to preach God's word, I stood up before the church and I came and I said, hey guys, we are, we're out of space. We need to find a new place to meet. The kids are literally meeting in the copy room next to the paper cutter. I think it's illegal what we're doing. We need a new place. And so I came to the church on that Sunday and I said, hey, would you guys just start praying for God to show us where he wants us to go? Would you just start praying? And then I preached God's word, whatever the text was for that day, I just started preaching. And two days later, so that was Sunday, now it's Tuesday. I am uh, sitting in a coffee shop in downtown Littleton. May God rest its soul. It's no longer with us. But I was in this coffee shop and uh, I saw another pastor from the area who I knew. And he asked how the church plant was going. How's it going, man? And I said, oh, it's, going, it's going great. We're, we're, it's, God's been really good to us. Problem is we're, we're kind of running out of space at the Young Life place. We're running out of space and we need to find a new location. He says to me, ah, Chris, that's really funny. My church is moving locations at the end of this month. And just this morning, I got an email from the new building owner at our current spot. And he asked me if I knew of any other churches who might be interested. The building's called the Main Street Center. I don't know if you know where it is or heard about it, but do you want me to connect you with this guy? I was like, yeah, that's not funny. It was like real. And so that afternoon, I walked two blocks from the coffee shop to this building and I toured this space. And then I brought our elder team and our leadership team over and we looked at it. And about a month later, we held our first service here at the Main Street Center. Two days after, just said to the church, let's pray for God to give us some direction as to where we need to go next. That's a sign. That's a sign. Now, how's that different from Pantene billboard guy. How is that different? Because that was a sign too, right? No, 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 no. It's a sign, but also we were praying as a church. We did our due diligence and having lots of conversations about whether this was the right place or the wrong place. We did all of the hard work of seeking wise counsel about this move, but the sign was a part of the whole discernment package by which we discerned, God, this is where you want us to be. Downtown Littleton, where we always wanted to be, this is where you have for us. And honestly, that's why, just on the side, for the last three months and for the next nine months, we have dedicated 2023 as a year of prayer to discern what's next for Fathom, for Fathom's future. This is why we've been talking about this. This is why we're doing monthly prayer gatherings. This is why we have daily and weekly prayer guides for you to use so that we would come before the Lord and seek his face and talk about this with others and do a lot of analysis and do wise counsel and do all of this work and look for some signs. I had a guy call me this week who was like, hey, there's this building. I know we're supposed to be praying. Should we maybe consider this? And I said, yeah. And if it falls through, who cares? Who cares? We want to look to God. We want to look to others. And we want to look for signs to discern God's will for us. All right. So let me say this. I wonder if there's some of us in this room who's, who are trying to figure out God's direction right now. Like, I just wonder about this. I know some of these things because I get the prayer cards, but maybe it's a job or a career thing right now. 
And you're like, I don't know, man. Do I need to make a change? Or I already quit and I have to make a change? Like, what? I wonder where God wants me. Or maybe it's in a relationship. You're like, I'm single and I don't want to be, or I'm dating and should we take the next step? Or we're engaged and maybe should we get married? Or, or hey, we, I lost that relationship years ago and maybe I need to pursue some reconciliation and some fixes here, but, but you're trying to discern God's direction in a relationship. Listen, it could be guidance in any sort of situation in your life. If you're trying to discern the direction that God has for you, I would charge you to take it seriously in the same way that David did. First, have you looked to God? And that question is most tangible when you're trying to fall asleep with your head on the pillow before, before bed. When it's just you and your thoughts, the light is off. Can you say, I've given ample time to prayer and to God's word concerning this thing? You don't have to be accountable to anybody else on that. It's with you. Did you look to God? Second, have you looked to others? Have you sought, not just your herd of morons that you run with, your crew, I see you four, all right? <laughs> These boys. Not, not just your friends, but have you sought wise counsel, spiritual authorities to just say, hey, am I going totally crazy here or is this God's direction for me? Have you looked to others? And then finally, have you looked for signs? Are there any open doors? Can you point to any evidence that might indicate that God is directing you in that way? Any confirmations that this might be from the Lord? Not wild, weird stuff, but anything, anything. And now listen, any one of those three things taken by itself can easily be misinterpreted. You take them out of context and you can easily just take the advice of one person or just take like your little prayer feelings or you can take some sort of billboard that you see and make a terrible, terrible decision. But if you take all three of those together, like David, you can know the direction that God is leading you. Now, very last thing. What if... After attempting to discern all three of those things, I still don't know. Like, what if I've done my due diligence? Pastor, I, I feel good going to sleep at night knowing that I sought the Lord. I've got a lot of counsel, both, both dumb counsel and wise counsel, and I think this is the direction. I'm even seeing some things that are weirdly circumstantial that I'm like, maybe those are signs. And, and, and now I've done all that, and I've still got a couple of decisions with multiple options. What then? How do, I, how do I know? Well, then you get to choose. At that point, you get to make the call. If you've taken all of those steps of discernment and there's still a choice to be made, then God has given you the answer. And the answer is you choose. You're like, what if I choose wrong? What if I choose the wrong decision? Hear me, you're not gonna. 
you won't make the wrong choice because you've been seeking him the whole way. And if you're seeking him in the process and if you're seeking him in the decision and if you keep seeking him after you've made that decision, then he will keep leading you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be your guide. And that's how you discern. Insanely practical sermon this morning. That's how you know. All right, let's pray. Lord, we bless you. What a good passage of scripture. What a good story of how Saul sees things one way, how David sees things the other way and how we might learn how to know you and how to follow you. We confess that we've got blind spots. We confess that we've got blind spots we don't even know about. We confess that our hearts are deceitful above all else and that they long for things and feel things that we can't control. We confess that often we feel like we're blind and we can't discern what's next or what's in front of us. And yet you say to us, you can follow me in that. You can pick up your cross and follow me. And so Father, I pray for my friends in here today who are trying to discern some stuff. Jobs, relationships, moves, careers, money things. Many different things are trying to be figured out. And I pray we would take the wisdom of David to heart and we would practice good, wise discernment. And your servant James told us that if any of us lacks wisdom, we need only ask. And so we ask, Father, we wanna be wise. We wanna discern what you have for us, both individually and us as our church moves forward for our future. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this great message. Lord, we pray we understand it in our heads and believe it in our hearts and our lives. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen, friends.